We're reading from 1 Peter chapter 4, uh, sorry, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4 to 10. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Thanks, Anna Maria. Well, there's, uh, there's something momentous happening later this year. I don't know if you've heard. Uh, something quite scary. Uh, I'm turning 30. And I know it's just a number and it's not the biggest number. Uh, but I've begun to notice something a little disturbing. I'm not up with it anymore. I, I think I'm officially old. Uh, and, I, and I know this because I have pushed pause on the clothes that I wear uh, and the music that I listen to. Uh, my wardrobe and my playlist look strikingly similar to how they did 10 years ago, uh, except that I've traded in the CDs for Spotify. I'm walking around clothes shops in town now, and I'm wondering why I can't find what I'm looking for. Uh, I turn the radio on and wonder why they've stopped playing the good songs. And I know there are young people here this morning who are chuckling to themselves and thinking, oh, I won't be like that. I'll keep up, I won't fall behind. Well, all I will say is, we'll see. Come chat to me when you're 60. Why do we make a big deal about getting older, about turning 40 or 60 or 80? There are probably lots of reasons, but one thing I'm learning is that there is nothing like getting older to realise who you are and who you were and who you're becoming and who you thought you would become and are now realising you'll probably never be. Getting older makes you think about your identity. Who am I? What am I achieving with my life? Where do I fit in? And in our Western individualistic society, these questions are becoming increasingly more complex and more urgent. We're living through an identity crisis, driven by a growing conviction that you need to discover your identity that you're like a snowflake, profoundly unique and special, and you will only find fulfillment and happiness in life if you fulfill that unique potential and actualize your authentic self. And nothing is off limits in our search for these individual identities. We've gone way beyond hobbies and jobs. 
to things as, as fundamental and intrinsic as gender and sexuality. Young people today have more questions to answer, I think, than almost ever before. And for some, the so-called freedom feels awfully like shackles and a heavy weight in the chest. Well, in the Bible passage we're looking at today, uh, Peter is going to offer us an alternative identity. And it's an identity that is robust and timeless. It's not going to go out of fashion when you turn 60 or 90. It's an identity that provides community, a, a deep sense of belonging. It's an identity where everyone is included, where everyone is useful, where no one is a loner. And perhaps best of all, it's an identity that provides us with a purpose. A purpose beyond, what am I going to do after school? Or after the kids leave home? Or after I retire? Peter wants to give us a purpose that gives meaning and focus to everything we do in our lives. If that sounds interesting, uh, then please join me as we look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 to 10 together. And we're going to see uh, three things in this passage today. The first is simply this, our identity. What is our identity? Have a look there in verses 4 to 5. If you, if you shut your Bible, crack it open again, we'll be in 1 Peter chapter 2. And Peter uses a slightly odd picture. Uh, he calls Jesus the living stone. And he says that each Christian is a living stone as well. Uh, we're not just stones scattered in a field or dumped in a random pile. We're stones that a master builder is choosing and placing and fitting together to create something really beautiful. A spiritual house. Now, I'm not sure uh, if you've watched the TV show Lego Masters. Uh, on Lego Masters, they have a big room called the Brick Pit. And it is lined from floor to ceiling with millions of pieces of Lego. Uh, bricks of every shape and size and color, all in separate containers. And then a builder comes along, and they gather a bunch of different bricks, and they go out and they start putting them together. And it takes hours, and slowly this model comes together, and it's something stunning. It's a one, one beautiful creation, but it's made up of millions of different pieces, or at least thousands. And Peter says the church is a bit like that. God is the master builder, and throughout history, the church is his great building project. And you might say, well, big whoop, I've actually visited quite a few churches, and uh, they didn't really wow me. Well, Peter wants us to see things from God's perspective today. The church is the great building project of God in the world. Why? Well, for one thing, the church is where God lives. Peter calls it a spiritual house. In other words, a temple. The temple was where God's presence dwelt on earth. And that's what the church is. That's remarkable. It's a strange building, isn't it? Because it's alive. It's made up of living stones. This building moves. It's not like Technic Lego with motors and gears. It's spiritually alive because we're filled with the Holy Spirit and we're united to Christ, the risen one, the living stone in heaven. Uh, do, 
do you want to find God? Do you want to experience His presence? Do you want to feel His love? Then join a church. The church is precious because it's where God lives. It's also precious because it's how God works. God does His work through the church. Uh, See verse 5, Peter says that together we are a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. What does it mean for us to be a priesthood? Peter says we offer sacrifices. Uh, Not physical sacrifices of lambs and goats, but spiritual sacrifices. The sacrifice of using our whole lives to love God and love others. That's actually our vision statement here at Riverbank, isn't it? To be a people who love God, who love the community, and who love the church. And that's not something you can do on your own. How can you love on your own? All those commands in the New Testament, how can you serve on your own? How can you meet together on your own? How can you come to Jesus and ignore His church, the place where He lives, the vehicle by which He acts in the world? And I actually think this is a really a growing challenge in our individualistic culture. Many of us attempted, I think, to keep one foot out the door. To keep our church involvement at a moderate, convenient level, which, which doesn't impact too much on family life or, or on work or on our weekends. And, and, and it's understandable because living with people will get messy and inconvenient. It, it will involve getting hurt and, and making sacrifices. But Peter wants us to see there is nothing more precious than belonging to God and His church. If you hold back from the church, if you stand at a distance, if you settle for live streaming, I promise you will miss out on some of the greatest joys and blessings of being a Christian. It's exactly why Jacinta has joined a local church. She became a member at Riverbank today. Riverbank is a place where we worship together, we learn together, we pray together, we sing together, we encourage and challenge each other. We work together to tell our neighborhoods about the hope of Jesus. But maybe you say, well, look, that's great. I actually love the church. I've got nothing against that. Uh, The problem is with me. I don't really fit in. I don't really have anything to offer. Jacinda and I chatted about this last time we caught up. Uh, It is really hard when sickness confines you to a couch. It can feel sometimes like you're not playing your part. But I wonder what Peter would say. I think, first of all, he would say that the master builder is building his house and he chose you. Uh, If you've watched Lego Masters, you'll know that one of the highlights on the show is... When someone takes a really random piece of Lego, like an angel's wing or or the red oar of a boat, and they use it in an awesome way that no one would expect. Uh, They call it NPU, nice part usage. You're working out that I like Lego Masters, aren't you? (laughs) Well, God is the master of nice part usage. 
Which leads us to the second thing I think Peter would say, which is that we're not all called to lead music or to preach or to cook beautiful meals. Verse 5, we are called to offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. And I have witnessed this in Jacinta firsthand. I cannot describe how encouraging it is to meet with a young woman who has a terminal illness and she says, I'm at peace. I've come to realize God's doing something more important than making me physically healthy. He's making me spiritually healthy. He's growing my faith. He's teaching me to treasure Him more than anything else. That is a spiritual sacrifice, pleasing to God, that builds up the church, isn't it? It's so encouraging. So, what's our identity? We're stones that God has chosen to belong to Him and and to each other. Together, we're a living temple where God lives and works. And we're, we're priests who live to honor God as we love and serve each other. That's our first point, our identity. But that raises an important question. What do you have to do to become part of this temple? How does this amazing new identity become yours? It brings us to our second point, our foundation. What is our foundation? In verses 6 to 8, Peter says that the foundation is Jesus, the living stone. See what verse 6 says. God, God says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Uh, the cornerstone was the most important stone in the whole building. It went in the corner right at the base, it was huge, and it held the whole structure together. And that's Jesus. He's the foundation of the church. If the church is an amazing Lego model, Jesus is the green base plate. Can't stop me. But here's the thing. Not everyone chooses to build on Jesus. Did you notice there are actually two building projects in this passage? Uh, There's what God is building, a a beautiful church, with His precious Son, Jesus, as the foundation. But but then in verse 7, there are some other builders. Did you notice them? They're builders who reject Jesus. You see, we are actually all builders. We're all trying to build our dream home. Uh, For some of us, quite literally. Home ownership has often been said to be the Australian dream. But more deeply, wouldn't you say the Australian dream is, is, is a life of happiness? Isn't that what we're all trying to build? And the question this passage, is asked, this passage asks is, will Jesus be part of that building? Does He feature in your plans? You see in verse 7, some builders reject Jesus, the living stone. It says in verse 8, they stumbled over the stone. It's talking about people who don't want Jesus in their lives because He doesn't fit with what they're building. He isn't what they're looking for. 
We, we aren't told why. Something about Jesus puts them off. And maybe it's because following him will involve sacrifice and suffering. Maybe it's because Jesus calls you to confess your sins and, and, and you don't want to admit that you're a failure sometimes. Maybe it's because his kingdom doesn't offer you the money and the pleasure that you're chasing. Maybe it's because his church just has too many people in it who you really don't like. Whatever the reason, there are many, many builders today who reject Jesus. And Peter says they don't stumble over him by accident. Verse 8, they stumble because they disobey the message. In other words, they stumble over Jesus because of their rebellion. Because they don't want God to be the master builder in their lives. And actually, that's exactly how God planned it to be. Look at the end of verse 8. They stumble as they were destined to. God has planned it in such a way that every single one of us have to respond to Jesus. It's as if there's a road, a long road, the road of your life, actually the road of human history. And right in the middle of that road, God has plonked down an enormous rock. It's, it's Jesus Christ. It's the suffering servant on the cross. It's the one who is now glorified, the King of kings in heaven. And every single one of us have to deal with that rock. You can swerve around it as you race down your highway to hell. Or you can stop and you can take that rock and make it the foundation of your whole life. That's how God planned it. That rock, Jesus, is the decider of everything. Here's what this means. It means that every single person in this room today, today, will respond to Christ. You will respond to Christ as you leave the doors this morning. The only question is how. To say, no, no thanks, or, or not yet, or... I don't think that's for me. That, that's not a neutral response. That, that's a rejection of Jesus. Jesus isn't like screamo music or pineapple on your pizza that you can choose if you like it and leave if you don't. If you turn your back on Jesus, you'll have to take the full responsibility for all the sins that you've ever committed. But it's not the only option. There's, there's another way, a better way, and I want to urge you to take it today if you haven't already. It's, it's not too late to put your trust in Jesus, to, to come to him and say, Jesus, I am a sinner. But I believe that you're the Savior, and I want you to be the foundation of my life, and, and I want you to be the builder. And when we do that, something beautiful happens. Verse 6, the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. How good is that? In fact, Peter tells us that God will honor us. I really think the ESV translation at the start of verse 7 is better. It says, so the honor is for you who believe. If you join team Jesus, then you will share in his honor. Remember the people Peter's writing to? Remember that they were suffering, they were being insulted, shunned for being Christians? 
And Peter writes to them and he says, it's not happening because God's rejected you. It's happening because he's chosen you. It happened to the cornerstone. That's why it's happening to you. He was rejected and so we're rejected. He was honoured and so we will be honoured. Peter's saying trusting in Jesus is not a small thing. It is a massive change to your identity. You will become an outcast and a foreigner in this world. But you'll also be God's precious possession, chosen by Him, honoured by Him, and never put to shame. That leads us to our third and final point. We've seen our identity. We're God's church. Together we're a living temple. We've seen our foundation. It's Jesus Christ, the living stone. Now finally, we want to think about our purpose. What is our purpose? Read, read verse 9 with me. Peter says, Those who reject Jesus will stumble and fall, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. Why? that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once again, this is Peter using Old Testament language. He's quoting from Isaiah 43 and Exodus 19. He's drawing a line from Israel, God's people in the Old Testament, to the church, God's people in the New Testament. And he's saying, through all time, God is gathering one true people. And he's calling them out of the world to belong to him and to live for him. Christians, that is who we are. We are God's chosen people. A chosen race. In Jesus, it does not matter. There should be no distinction between Dutch or Chinese, between upper class and utterly broke. We're a holy nation. We're no longer defined by Australian politics or geography. You're not primarily Australian or Tasmanian, you're Christian. We no longer belong to the world, we're God's special possession. That is such a beautiful phrase. Why? Peter says, that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. Here is something that every Christian can do. It doesn't matter if you're heterosexual or same-sex attracted. It doesn't matter if you're single or married. It doesn't matter if you're a teacher or a tradie. It doesn't matter if you're a little child or you're 90 years old. This is our purpose. To praise God. To leave behind our old lives, our sinful worldly ways. To be set apart for God. To live for Him in everything, to point to Him in everything. We're like one of those sign spinners in New York. You know, they're on the street corners and they're pointing to the pizza shop. Christians, not just as individuals, but collectively are a living sign and we point to God through the way that we worship, the way that we love, the way that we forgive, the way that we cry the way that we care, the way that we 
are united together in Jesus in spite of all of our differences. And this is always our task, Riverbank, whether we are gathered or scattered. When we gather on a Sunday, we praise God. We sing, we pray, we learn from God's Word together. We tell each other what God's doing in our lives, just like Jacinta's done this morning. She's declared the praises of Him who called her into His light. But after we gather, we, we then scatter, don't we? From Monday to Saturday in hundreds of different schools and households and workplaces and job sites and friendship groups. But even there, we're still God's people. Still your identity. Still set apart for Him. Still called to shine His light. We aren't just a whole lot of individuals who gather once a week like a kids' basketball team for two hours on a Saturday. They pop their jerseys on and they're a team. No, we are the church for 24 hours a day, seven days a week. We're God's precious people and we exist to praise Him. That is our identity. That is our purpose. So to be honest, I'm actually not at all phased about turning 30 or growing old. I have no doubt I'm going to fall way behind what's cool. But in Jesus, I have found an identity that is timeless and priceless. What about you this morning? God, God is offering you an identity that you don't have to create for yourself. And you don't have to earn. It is a free gift. And it's an identity that's not lonely or individualistic. It's going to place you into a family of real love. Mess, challenge, but forgiveness and kindness and patience as well. It's an identity that isn't built on you. And how awesome you are or aren't. It's built on Jesus. It's given to failing sinners who simply trust in Him. It is a spiritual, eternal identity which transcends the frailties of life on this earth. Our bodies that age and decay. How, how sad to have placed your whole sense of worth on how you look in the mirror only to find out that you're going to get older every single day of your life. It transcends our careers, which will not soar forever. It transcends our loved ones who will eventually leave home or pass away. It's an identity that doesn't leave us asking, well, why am I here? What am I meant to be doing with my life? The identity comes with the glorious purpose of enjoying God, praising God, serving God forever. I want to finish with this slightly odd question, but how does this identity feel? I think it feels a lot like coming home. It feels a lot like the relief of belonging to God and His family. It feels like joy knowing that God chose you. He picked you out and He carefully placed you exactly where He wanted you in His building. It feels strange because it makes you out of place in the world. It makes you different and weird to those non-Christians around you. And yet, it doesn't really feel like leaving home. It feels more like coming home. Have you come home? If you haven't, 
yet, it's not too late. Don't stub your toes on Jesus and fall flat on your face. Instead, make him the foundation of your life and you will never be put to shame. If you have come home, I hope you'll rejoice again in the amazing privilege of being God's precious people who exist to praise him. Uh, let's, let's praise him now as we pray and then we'll do it as we sing. Let's pray. Lord God, you are doing something bigger and better in this world than, than we often stop to imagine. Lord, through this slightly motley, randomly assorted group of weak and sinful people, you have chosen to work. You've chosen us to be your missionaries to the ends of the earth with the gospel. And we're perfectly suited to that, Lord, because all we can say is, look, I'm a nobody, I'm a sinner, and yet Jesus... He's the chosen and precious living stone. And if you, you put your trust in him, all of this could be yours. We thank you, God, for engineering it this way. We praise you for being the master builder and for coming up with something as beautiful as the church. And we pray that you would help us to love it and to invest in it. We thank you for choosing us and calling us out of this miserable world to live for something so much better, to soak in your mercy, to bask in your light. We praise and thank you, God, for what you are doing in us and through us, all to your glory. Amen.